0: Well, welcome again to The Well, and welcome to those who are upstairs uh, in The Well Cafe. Uh, glad to have you this morning, wherever you are. We're going to worshiping uh, here in the chapel upstairs uh, uh, in our loft space. Uh, I have some big news for you. You want to hear some big news? Anybody? Anybody? We had, uh, we, we set a new record last week uh, between our attendance here uh, in, a cha- in the chapel as well as upstairs. Uh, for the very first time, uh, we broke 400 in worship between these two spaces, so... <clears throat> Several, uh, several months ago, uh, we, our, our previous high had been about 280, and, and so we said, hey, we've got to do something different, so we opened up that new space, and, and uh, we've already pushed, pushed past 400. So last week was, a, uh, was an exciting week, and I wanted to share that with you, not only celebrate uh, that, but also to share with you a, a celebration of a particular person uh, who has blessed you. You may never, have never met him, you may not know him, uh, but he has blessed you uh, immensely, and his name is Brian Certain. Uh, Brian has served as the director of our technical arts ministry, which is basically everything you see and everything you hear in worship goes through through them. Uh, working with video and audio. Uh, He served as the director of that team for uh, five or six years now. When he joined our church staff, we had four services, three in the sanctuary on Sunday morning and one uh, on Saturday evening, uh, also in that space. We didn't have a chapel. Uh, We didn't have the well, the well cafe. We didn't have the loft as it is right now, the the new space where many of your kids are worshiping uh, called the zone. Uh, We didn't have any of those things. We had four services, not seven services like we have uh, this uh, now in our, in our church, and he's overseen all of that expansion uh, and served you faithfully for many years while also running a full-time insurance business. Uh, that, that's his full-time job, uh, but Brian's stepping away from that role uh, to take some, uh, some rest, some well-deserved rest, uh, and I just wanted to pause and give you a moment uh, to celebrate him and his ministry. He's upstairs in the loft, so he'll hear you if you clap down here, and if you're up there in the loft, uh, you turn around and say thank you to Brian. Today uh, we're continuing this series, Five Dumb Things People Do to Mess Up Their Life. We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 4. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have it on your mobile device, it'll be a little easier to find. Uh, it's near the end of the Bible and just a few more things I want to lift up to you uh, before we jump in there. First, I want to lift up this GPS guide. If, you, if you're brand new here, GPS is a resource uh, that we produce each week. Uh, it's a way for you to take our messages and the, the emphasis that we preach on into your own personal devotion time. During the week, it's got five scripture readings and some reflection questions. You can also sign up to receive this via email if you go to growpraystudy.org, and it'll be in your email inbox uh, each and every morning. So I want to lift that up to you uh, as a way to take what we share each weekend uh, into your own uh, personal time. Then I want to say a word about this book. Uh, This is a book that I wrote that we shared with you a couple weeks ago. Uh, I want to say thank you. We have 600 copies of this out in the wild now, uh, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Uh, and the two people down here who've read it, they're excited about it too, that's cool. <laughs> um, I want to say thank you uh, because I've heard so many people who've, who've read it and come back and just said such nice, kind words about it, I appreciate that. This is like having a child and giving it to you and going, oh, I hope you like my kid. I mean, it's, it's, it's a labor of love and I appreciate that it's been a blessing to you. The book is uh, basically organized, organized around what I would describe as some of the deep questions of faith. And so I want it to be a blessing to you. But I want, I want to say a word about what I also hope this, this book does for you and for our church. I hope that as you read it, it not only blesses you, but you will think about somebody else that, that it might bless. So I got a text this weekend from someone saying, Hey, I love the book. I have a friend who's not a Christian, but is searching for some answers in his life. Do you think it would be okay if I shared with him the book? And I said, Yes. That is why I wrote the book. So I want you to hear that. That is why... I wrote the book, so if you read it, if you, if you take time uh, to do that, I hope you 'll think about somebody uh, who you think might be blessed by the book, and I hope you will share that uh, with them just as your gift and uh, an invitation for them to to consider some of these questions that that I think we all ask uh, on our journey of faith. so I want to lift that to you men if you 're interested in, in reading the book uh, with a group, our men 's basketball group who meets on on sunday night they 're going to start uh, studying that next week, uh, they meet at five thirty over in the gym uh, for, for their study time. And then uh, they play basketball at 6.30. They're all very nice. No one ever gets hurt during the basketball games. It's a very, that's a joke. Uh, but uh, uh, it's a great group of guys. You will, you will enjoy connecting with them. So, so five dumb things. I cannot help but think, you know, when we came up with this series title, and what we're going to talk about, my mind immediately went to... How much I enjoy watching people do dumb things. I mean, I really take a lot of pleasure out of that. And I bet you do too. This is not the most attractive picture of humanity, but let's just be honest. We love watching people do dumb things. We don't appreciate being the person who is doing the dumb thing, but we love observing it. We love America's Funniest Home Videos. And we love, some of you, this is a guilty pleasure. You love the game show Wipeout. You know you shouldn't be watching it. You feel bad about it you see people and you think oh i hope they're not hurt while you're laughing hysterically at what they have just done we 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 enjoy this so much and so i wanted to share with you an example uh, of this this morning let's see this this clip humans we mean well but we're imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world sometimes the little things get us And other times, the not-so-little. It's amazing we've made it this far. Maybe it's because when one of us messes up, someone else comes along to help out. At Liberty Mutual Insurance, we get that it's tough out there. And our job is to make it less tough. That's the thing about humans. When things are at their worst, we're at our best. See how at libertymutual.com. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Responsibility. What's your policy? So, so, again, I, I'll say when I first saw one of these commercials in this, in this campaign, it wasn't this particular one. It's the one where the guy slam dunks and then the, the goal's not really set, so it falls over on his car. I, I, must, I hit rewind like 10 times, you know, just watching it over and over again. Like it's the one where the guy does the round kick and knocks something down in his garage, it all falls on his car and messes up. And I love those commercials, I think partly because I could see myself doing every single one of these things. Uh, that, that was supposed to be funny. And I. <laughs> And and, and I have done things this dumb, and you have too, right? We love watching this, partly because we recognize that we could easily be each each of these individuals uh, doing this really, really dumb thing. And that's actually the genius of the campaign, if, if you don't recognize that. The genius of the campaign is these are all dumb things that human beings do. Human beings do dumb things all the time. And so, you need Liberty Mutual Insurance to protect you from your own humanity. You need to buy their products because you do dumb things, right? I mean, that's where the whole the whole genius of it comes from. And we would love to live in a world where we could just buy insurance to protect us against any and all dumb things that we might do. But you know... That there are things that human beings do all the time, things that mess up their life in tremendous ways, and there is no comparable insurance product to protect you from the damage that comes from those situations, from those decisions that you might make in your life. And that's what we're talking about in this series, are those things that you can't just protect yourself from really easily outside of living your life with what we might call wisdom. Now, what I want to talk about today is something that you may have never heard a preacher talk about in church. In fact, some of you may even think to yourself as we go through this, I'm not sure we can talk about this in church. This, this feels a little bit odd. I may have a full email inbox on Monday morning. I'm not sure. But what I know is this is something that we have to talk about in the context of this series because this is something that people do all the time that completely messes up their life leads behind destruction and pain that that you can't even imagine. And it happens over and over again. So what we're going to talk about this morning is the destruction that often is caused because of sexual sin. Yes, I just said that word. (laughs) On the microphone in church, God heard it, and we're all still here, okay? So now that we're all, you're, you're a little bit shocked and a little uncomfortable, we're going to say a prayer. I'm not kidding. We're really going to pray. Let's, let's, let's pray together. Loving God, thank you for understanding that we need help. Thank you for understanding that left to our own wisdom, Lord, we would be hopeless. And thank you, Lord, for your word that offers us direction, that offers us insight, that offers us wisdom. As we open it today, Lord, may it do the work that it needs to do to help us stay on the path that leads to life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 begins in this way. Paul writes, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So a little bit of context here. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians living in a community called Thessalonica. These are individuals who have become followers of Jesus in response to Paul's teaching. Uh, This letter is probably dated about A.D. 50. These are people that Paul knew. These are people whose whose lives Paul was familiar with. He knew their families. He knew knew their, their situation. He knew their community. He had lived among them. And so it's not a stretch for us to imagine that as Paul is writing this letter, he is picturing in his mind the people who he has poured his life into, people who have made a decision to follow Jesus because of his ministry and his teaching. And what he's saying here in these first few words is, you're doing well. You you have been taught by me. I want to remind you that what I have given you is the instructions that you need on how to live in such a way that would please God. And and not only that, Paul takes the step of affirming. He's saying to them, I know that you're already doing this. I know that you are running a good race, that that you are walking the narrow road, that you are living in a way that pleases God, and I'm proud of you. I'm excited about that. But I want to remind you of how important it is to stay on that path that leads to life. So Paul's writing to people that he knows and he loves. He's writing to people living in a community that he understands. He's walked their streets. He's been in their homes. He's shared his life with them. And he's saying, you're doing well. But I want to encourage you to keep going. And so what he says in verse 3, he says, it is God's will... That you should be sanctified. Now, that's probably not a word you used in any conversations this week. So a couple of synonyms. Synonym uh, of sanctified would be holy or set apart or the word different. So Paul says, this is God's will for your life. I want to remind you, I've already taught you this. I've already given you this teaching. But I want to remind you of how important it is. God's will for you is to live a different life to live a set apart life to live a holy Life, And this is how he expresses what that looks like. He continues in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, if we were going with the old King James Version, the traditional language, the word would be fornication. What a big word that's nice and fun to say. Uh, You should avoid sexual immorality. And he continues by saying that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, in this category of your life, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. So again, these are people who Paul knew. He, he knew so much about their life and their situation, their community. And, and he's proud of them and proud of the lives that they're living, the commitment they've made to be followers of Jesus. And, and he's reminding them that even though you're already living in the right way, I want to affirm that, but I also want to remind you that there is a will that God has for your life. There's a, there's a hope, there's a dream that God has for you. And that hope and that dream is holiness. That you would live a set-apart, different life. That you should avoid following this path. That you should learn to control your, your physical body. And, and that in this category of your life, most importantly, you should not act in a way where you would wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. So first thing I want you to notice is that Paul is contrasting the life that a follower of Jesus should live uh, compared to the lives of uh, of those other people that they may know. So again, Paul knew the community of Thessalonica. He knew the place in which they live, and this is the part where I got to help you out because we don't live in AD fifty Thessalonica. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? That the world is a little bit different today than it is, you know, thousands of years ago. So, so this is the part that may not make any sense to you. I'm going to give you a little context so it'll it'll you can I can help you out a little bit. So, so Paul is writing to people who are living in a particular culture. Okay, they're they're surrounded by people who have certain cultural norms, things that they they see is acceptable. And what Paul is saying is that your life is supposed to be different than their lives. Your life is supposed to be set apart. Your life is supposed to be holy. And and so he's reminding them that as you follow Jesus, you have to be aware of the fact that you're going to be swimming upstream. I mean, there are people who are going to be moving in the opposite direction, teaching you things that are false and wrong. And, and you've got to remember that you're called to, to swim upstream. So again, this is very different from the world today. You, it's going to be hard to understand it. But these people were living in a culture where, where everyone around them didn't really see a big deal with what Paul is talking about. I mean, this whole idea of, of sexual immorality is something they didn't, they couldn't even wrap their heads around that. They just kind of, they, they thought that life was about the pursuit of pleasure. And so they were living in a culture, again, totally different than the world today. A culture where every single moment of their life, they were surrounded by conversations and images and a culture that said all this stuff was okay. It's no big deal. So let me just give you one example of that. This is is from a philosopher of that day. He writes, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children. You have to think that his wife was proud of that. I mean, just what a wonderful thing to say. Again, totally different world than today, right? I mean, you're not surrounded by this at all, but but this is the world that they're living in. I hope you're catching the sarcasm. It's a different world, and you are called to live differently from the world around you and so even though you are constantly surrounded and bombarded by conversations and images and a world that says hey no big deal just go have some fun god's called you to live a holy set apart different life so a couple things we might, observations we might make from, from this portion of the text. The first thing is that God cares very deeply about our holiness. And this is actually a theme that you will find on page one, and you'll find it throughout, throughout the scriptures, that God cares about our holiness, that we join together and sing of the holiness of God, but that set-apartness, that, that, that thing that makes God different from us, we are actually supposed to pursue that for ourselves. And understand, what what Paul's saying is not that, hey, followers of Jesus, you need to be the holiness police in the world. That's not what he says. In fact, he doesn't blame the pagans because they think differently. They don't know any better as far as Paul is concerned. But what Paul is saying is, hey, you, you who signed up for this, you who said yes to this, you who has claimed this as their direction, your direction for your life, you're called to holiness. You're a life should look different than those around you. And I think it's important that we should just acknowledge the fact that we don't like that. For most of us, our natural programming is go along, get along, don't rock the boat... I don't want anyone to see me as a prude. You know, there's this natural tendency that we have to look the other way and just pretend, as the world seems to encourage us to, that, hey, this is, this is no big deal. But God cares very deeply about our holiness and our pursuit of a different life. So, so when we wake up in the morning and we, we open up the Scriptures, if you engage in something like GPS, one of the things that the Scriptures are going to hit you over the head with over and over again is you're called to something different your life is supposed to look different but the second thing is that our chief aim according to Paul is to please God that's our pursuit that's what our life is about it's about pleasing God and do you hear in that the countercultural message not only for the Christians living in Thessalonica but for you and I living in our world today that our chief aim you have to understand this if you're going to be if you're going to wrap your head around what it means to be a follower of Jesus you have to understand your life is not about you and your life is not about your own happiness and your life is not about the pursuit of your own pleasure your chief aim is not what the world tells you over and over and over again it is it's not your chief aim is to please god to live in such a way that honors god and 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 we all live in a world where we hear an alternate message every single day. But here, Paul says, it's not about that. It's about pleasing God. Third thing that we hear is that we are more than flesh and blood. Uh, We are more than just physical bodies. Uh, Our life is about more than the pursuit of, of food and water and shelter and pleasure. That according to the scriptures, you are actually a spiritual being. Your body is a temple in the fact that the spirit of God, the spirit of God's resurrected son lives in you and your life is not what you see in the mirror your life is that. So you're more than just a stomach that needs to be filled, a a, a mouth that thirsts for water. You're more than just a sexual being that longs for connection. You're more than just someone who pursues pleasure. You have an eternal life that is beyond the flesh and blood of your existence. Over and over again, we find that theme throughout the scriptures. And then finally, that we do not live in isolation. That we live interconnected lives. And the decisions that we make, positive or negative, not only affect us, but they affect a whole web of relationships. We don't live in isolation. And so Paul says, in this category of life, see to it that you do not take advantage and you do not wrong a brother or sister because in this category of your life, it's not just about you. That the positive things that can be created in this area of your life and the negative things that can be created in in this area of your life, they echo throughout all the relationships that you have in your life. Destruction or blessing it echoes throughout a whole web of relationships. Now, again, we live in a culture that doesn't understand that. This is how Pastor Mike says it, which I I love. He says, we live in a culture that encourages us to sacrifice others on the altar of our own happiness. And that's what people do over and over and over again. Not understanding that our chief aim is not the pursuit of our own happiness or, or, or our own pleasure. And because they buy into that false ideology, they find themselves sacrificing others because... This is the path I want to go to to, to make me happy. But we don't live in isolation. Meaning that everything that we do, every decision that we make, good or bad, it echoes throughout a whole network of relationships. People that we care about, people that we love, people who depend on us, people whose lives will either receive blessing or destruction and pain because of the decisions that we make. Now, that, what I've just shared with you, 1 Thessalonians 4, what Paul says, these themes that we find throughout Scripture, that's the easy part, okay? That's not hard. Just to share with you, hey, this is, this is what the Scriptures say. We should pursue a holy life. We should be different, it is God's will that we do that, that we maintain boundaries in this area of our life, that, that we control ourselves, that we don't wrong a brother or sister. That's the easy part to share that with you. Here's the hard part. The hard part is that I know this message hits us all in very different ways. For some people this morning, you may be hearing this, and, and, and when you hear me talk about destruction and pain and, and, and the chaos that can really be created by, about this, you know that. Not because you read it in a book or you heard someone else talk about it, but because you've lived that story. Some of you have lived that story through no fault of your own, because of something that happened to you, because of a poor decision that someone else made, because you were someone else's sacrifice on the altar of their pursuit of happiness. You know that story. You know that pain because you've lived that story. Some of you may be here and, you, and, and where you may be, you also know the destruction that, that comes from that. You know the pain that comes from that. But you know that the decision that was made was your decision. And you've had to live with that, not only the pain you've caused yourself, but also the way you've seen that pain echo throughout the relationships of people that you care about. And wherever you are in that, whether someone who has been victimized by that or someone who made the poor decision, I think the questions are the same. Can healing really happen? Is this ever going to get better? Can God really forgive what has happened in my life? And what I want you to hear me say very clearly is that the answer to those questions are yes and yes and yes. But if that's you, I just want to remind you of a few things. First, healing doesn't happen in isolation and healing doesn't happen in the dark. Which means that the first step to getting healing, to to pursuing that is opening our mouths and admitting the hurt and talking about the pain to take that first step that may feel like letting more damage in, but a step that leads to light coming into that situation and healing having the chance to happen in your life. That's the first step. Just simply talk about something that you may not want to talk about. To find a trusted friend, someone who loves you and cares about you, who you know will get in the boat with you and go through whatever storm you have to walk through and say, we're going to get you help. We're going to help find healing for whatever pain you've walked through in your life. There are some who hear this and you may think to yourself, well, I guess... I guess the pastor needs to talk about this in this series. I don't know. It doesn't really hit me a particular way. And and you may think that's actually where you want to be. You want to be the person who thinks, well, I don't necessarily need that. But let me just remind you of a few things. The first thing I want to remind you of is is that pornography is a $12 billion business in our culture. That's billion with a B, just in case I didn't enunciate that, that clearly. Billion with a B. And what that means is that while that may not be an issue for you, it may be an issue for someone that you love and you may not know it. Billion with a B. The second thing I'll tell you is that no one has ever come to my office and sat down and said, David, I need you to know that I'm having an affair. And I want to go ahead and tell you that I've been planning on doing this for many years. I've just been waiting for the appropriate opportunity. No one says that. No one says that. Instead, they come to my office and they, and they share with me what's happened and they break down and part of the chaos and pain that they're experiencing in their life is they have no idea how this has happened. They came to what you might call the moment of maybe. And they took one more step into that situation and they found themselves uh, doing something that they themselves didn't quite even understand and now dealing with the pain and shock and all the things that that has created in their life. No one comes and says, hey, this is what I've been planning to do for quite some time. And so while you may feel that this is something that you think, I don't know how this hits me, you may be more vulnerable than you think you are. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in that situation, do a couple things. The first thing is to think about your boundaries, to spend some time defining what your guardrails are. You don't know what a guardrail is? A guardrail is the thing that keeps you from going off the cliff, okay? So, so you're rounding that corner, and off the cliff is total destruction. I mean, you have no chance if you go off that cliff. If you hit the guardrail, it's going to hurt. It's going to cause some pain, but it's going to keep you alive. And, and there's a certain margin that you need to have before the guardrail and going off the cliff. So when I was in youth ministry... And we would talk about sex, which we would talk about sex every 18 months when I served in youth ministry. Right, Ben? Ben was in my youth group. He knows that. We should have talked about it every 18 days with teenagers, but we did it every 18 months. (laughs) One of the questions that I would share with him, one of the messages was entitled, How Far is Too Far? And we would talk about how dumb that question is, how bad that question is, because what you need to know is where the guardrail needs to be. Well, wheres where that first thing that you're going to run into that says, I'm in a place that I don't need to be. What are the guardrails? What are the boundaries? What are the rules that you have set in place that, that keeps you from getting anywhere that you don't want to be? So think about those guardrails. Think about those boundaries. And then ask someone that you trust, ask someone that you love to speak into that process. Share with them what those guardrails are. Share with them what those boundaries are so that if you have a boundary here, someone can come into your life and say, you need to move that about 30 feet to the left. You need to have a wider margin in your life. Allow someone else to speak in the blind spots that you may have so that you don't go running that car off the cliff unintentionally and finding yourself dealing with destruction that you never thought was possible. That's where some of you may be today. But some of you may be at a place where you know that line has already been crossed. You know that that thing has already been said. And that moment of maybe may already be there with another person that shouldn't be there. You may know that there's a pattern of behavior that needs to change. You you may know that you're already... To a place where you're pretty close to destruction, or something may have already happened, but no one knows about it yet. So let's just assume that you came to my office and you sat down and we talked about this. Here's what I tell you to do the first thing I tell you to do is to confess. And I would tell you to do that immediately, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. If you're just at the point where you're just past the guardrail, you found yourself at risk. And every day you wait, that risk increases. So you do it now. You talk about it now. Pull out your phone now if you need to. Text someone. You talk about it now. You confess it. You get it out. If you've already gone off the cliff, they're going to find out anyways. You talk about it now. If you're not if you're not there yet, but you're just over the guardrail, you stop the risk now. You talk about it. You drain the power of the secret when you share the secret. You confess. The second thing that you do is you remove yourself from any situation where you are in danger, which may mean you shut down the social network. It may mean that you quit the job. It may mean that you take the computer and you throw it out into the yard. You take a drastic step to run run, run, a step that may hurt, a step that may cost you. But if you are in a burning building and a fireman comes to rescue you, he is not going to care if he breaks your arm getting you out of that building. He is trying to save your life. Are you with me? You remove yourself, you run, you run, you run. And then at some point you stop. You stop and you begin to rebuild your boundaries. You stop from running. You stop from the retreat. And at some point you say, on this safe ground, from this vantage point, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to fight. I'm going to put that guardrail back in place. I'm going to rebuild those boundaries. I'm going to do whatever it takes to save the marriage. I'm going to do whatever it takes to to, to rescue this relationship. I'm going to take whatever steps the person that I've confessed to, who I believe in, who believes in me, whatever they tell me to do. You want me to go see that counselor? You want me to do this step? I will do it because I'm going to fight for my life, I'm going to fight for my future. I'm going to fight for every single person in my life who's depending on me, who cares about me, who believes in me, who needs me to make a good decision here and to save save my life and save what blessing I may, I may be able to offer to the community of people who, who care about me, who depend on me. I'm sharing this message with you for one reason and one reason only. I've had too many conversations too many conversations with people who've driven that car right off that cliff. And while I will tell you that grace can do amazing things, I mean, I totally believe that, that grace can do amazing things. I've seen it in the lives of people. Wouldn't it be great to avoid <laughs> driving that car off the cliff? I'm doing it because I want, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to have any more conversations like that. And I want to remind you that if you've said yes to Jesus, then this is God's will for your life. That you would pursue a holy life, a different life, a set apart life, a life where you control your body, you live in a particular way, and the blessings that are meant to be shared from your life, from generation to generation can be can be shared. Let's pray. God, this morning I pray that chains would be broken. I pray for, for those who may be here today, Lord, who know so well how important this is, who may want to walk away from some things in their life that they know are destructive But at the same time, Lord, may wonder if change is really possible. Your word teaches us, Lord, that when light penetrates darkness, good things happen. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would shine your light into all of us. Into the dark corners of our heart. That you would reveal what lives there, Lord. Lord. And that in that moment of revelation, you would also invite us to a new kind of life. That you would invite us back to to that narrow road that you say leads to life. God, help each and every one of us to trust in grace. That grace can not only transform us, but also restore us. And grace and wisdom, Lord, can, can protect us from the destruction and damage that seems to surround us every single day. Bless these brothers and sisters, Lord. Bless all of us as we seek to stay on the path that leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen.